So I started looking at the dog industry and I'm like, of the top 10 breeds owned in the US, only one of them needs a haircut. But the entire grooming industry is about who gives the best haircut. And so we were in this red ocean, if you're familiar with that concept, competing with everyone else on the best artistry, the best haircut. And I was like, we got this wrong. It should be about routine care. You know, all these dogs are coming into our homes. So we want them clean. We want them healthy. We, we want to be able to connect with them. And it's really that, that connection piece. And so all of those things were forming for me, which is like, why do we really exist? What's really passion? What am I really passionate about? What is a mission I can create that I'm so passionate about that it's going to attract great people, not having to try to find people to bring in? And so then the mission was really about, you know, how do we help people practice love? How do we make the world a better place through their dog? And how do we keep dogs happy and healthy and help them ultimately live longer? So we created the Set Hound concept. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Tim Vogel, the co-founder and CEO of ScentHound. This conversation was an amazing deep dive into the pet industry into dogs in general and why they've become so prevalent and popular in society today, particularly the human to dog connection. And we also dive deep into Tim's entrepreneurial journey, which spans multiple decades, a lot of ups and downs along the way. And Tim could not have been more of an authentic guest and just sharing general entrepreneurial wisdom uh, with all of us. So I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation about entrepreneurship, about dogs, and, you know, about the rise and exciting growth of Scenthound. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Finding meaningful work is important. Home Clean Heroes is a franchise with a positive mission to donate a portion of every cleaning fee to first responders. And currently, they're looking for business-savvy owners to help expand their locations. If being part of something bigger than yourself drives you, then this is a business opportunity you simply can't refuse. Go to homecleanheroesfranchise.com to learn more. That's homecleanheroesfranchise.com for more information. I like to start at the beginning. So, you know, I know you and your wife, I believe, from what I've gathered, big dog lovers. And at some point you had a Eureka-esque moment. But yeah, what was going on in that time period of your life? before starting Scent Hound and what kind of was the story of this Eureka moment that ended up, you know, kind of leading you to start it? Yeah, you know, actually it's been a quite a long entrepreneurial journey with a lot of aha moments along the way, but I think the very origin of it is Jessica and I got married. Jessica, we moved in together and Jessica wanted to get a dog. And I was like, I'd like to go out after work. That's a lot of responsibility. You know, we want to travel. Yeah. I love dogs, but it's the right thing in her stage. Well, she won that <laughs> argument. We got a dog and I absolutely fell in love with this dog. And so I started geeking out about like, how do I become a great dog parent? And I uh, started reading books. And one of the books was said, you know, you need to establish yourself as the pack leader with this dog. 
And one way to do that is take this puppy out into an open space, put them down and walk away from them. And they'll see that you're the leader and they'll follow you. And so I turned around and this puppy was right on my heels. And there was just something like primal about that. It was just such like a cool moment. Yeah. And from that moment forward, I was kind of like, wow, I'd like to know more about this. Like, what is this human animal bond? Why do we have so many companion animals in our world? And, you know, at the time I was kind of in my, the current job, which was kind of an entrepreneurial venture that I was along the ride with for someone else. It was a car sharing company. And so I helped launch the DC market for car sharing and they were going through a merger and I was really starting to get that entrepreneurial bug. I was like, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never had the confidence. And so I you know, got out of college at a big company. Then I went to a medium company. Then I went to a startup company. Oh, so you worked your way down. Yeah. And it took me a while to get there, like to get the confidence. And so that was really a big issue for me is just the self-confidence to take that jump. So those two things were dovetailing. And so at that last business, they were going through immersion. I was like, man, now's the time. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And we just got this dog. And I was like, what a cool industry. And so I started looking at the numbers in the industry. And that's what really launched this adventure that we've been on. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm curious. So the car sharing company, what was the name of that? Or or even, you know, was there a time there where you said you maybe, I'm sure you maybe enjoyed it, but was there a time where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this for myself. Like, I want to find something to start. Well, it was interesting. You know, as I got into my second and third company, I started you know, they always say hire someone on their third business, right? Because the first job they take because they they can get a job. The second job they take because they get more money. And then the third job they take because it's something they want to do. It's the right yeah. fit. It's a mission they want to be a part of, right? And so I had gotten to that place where I was like, this was a cool mission. So the company was called FlexCar. It was the first car sharing company in the world. Started in Seattle. I launched the DC market. Zipcar came out of Boston after us. And then we were the only city with competing car sharing companies. And I learned a ton about marketing, positioning. And reality is Zipcar did it better than us. Yeah. And they understood positioning better than us. So there was a ton of learning there. And I was like, yes, I get this more. I feel like I have the confidence. And I started looking at the pet space and I was like, there's no one positioned well in here. It's highly fractured. It's growing rapidly. There's a massive opportunity. And so I had the bright idea of sitting down with my wife and really making the pitch of a life by intention. We were living in Washington, D.C. I'm like, if we could live anywhere in the world, where would we want to live? If we could do anything, what would it be? And I said, let's start finding places. And we had a big discussion. We ended up in Jupiter, Florida, yeah. which we've now been here almost 20 years. And it has been an amazing place to raise our kids, right right on the ocean, all that other kind of stuff. So really, oh, really nice. love that. And you know, convinced her we were going to start a mobile pet grooming business, which is like, I'm clearly a good sales guy because my wife's like, what are you thinking? <laughs> so, um and so I went to grooming school, got a van, hired a groomer, and the adventure began. And so that that was really kind of the beginning of it. And, you know, the reality was six months into that journey, I was like, what have I done? I moved my family here. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And this business is actually not a scalable business. Wow. Incredible. So that's where it starts with the pet grooming business. Well, you did say earlier, too, that I guess you got fascinated by like just the animal it was like the dog human bond. And was there anything, I don't know, interesting within that that led to a business decision? Just for uh, context here, I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff too. Like, I read this, I, I don't know how true it is, but apparently dogs evolved to be cuter because they need humans to survive and take care of them. So, like, that was actually part of their biological evolution, which to me, I was just like, wow, that's really cool. And like, that kind of makes sense because everyone loves just looking at pictures of dogs all the time. Well, 
Totally. And I, I can totally geek out with you about <laughs> yeah. that. So, but to be really honest, I started this business because I wanted freedom and I wanted to make money. Of course. Yeah. And it was through my entrepreneurial journey that I started to realize those weren't the right forces because I needed to be excited and I needed to have the energy every single day to get up. And I needed a mission that people wanted to join. Yeah. And hey, make me money isn't a mission that's very compelling to other people. And so I had to really back up and really self-evaluate like what was important to me. And so I got back in touch with this human-animal bond and I started really digging into that. And then I started really triangulating that to how am I going to make the world a better place? Because that that is actually what excites me and gets me up every single morning. And so our mission is we remove barriers so people can love and connect with their dogs every day. And the way I explain that is we are helping people practice love on a daily basis, which makes the world a slightly better place. Yeah. And at the same time, giving back to those that give so much to us. So helping these dogs live happier, healthier lives. And the longer you have them around, the more health benefits you have. So can I geek out for a second on some of those benefits? Yeah, please do. Yeah, I love it. So it's been over 10,000 years that there's this co-evolution, right? Okay. And so there's some really cool studies going on. They know now dogs, you know, that thousands of times better scent than we do. They know that they can smell our hormones and our pheromones and know how we feel at that moment. So they'll collect the sweat of a human that's angry, put it in a room, and dogs are repelled by it. Take the sweat of a human that's happy and feeling elated, and they can't get enough of it, right? They can actually read our emotions moment by moment by smelling us. Dogs actually have hearing, which is about four or five times better than humans. Yeah. They did an experiment where they brought a dog from another room, from another part of the building, into the same room with their owner while tracking the heart rate of the dog and the owner. The dog comes into the room, listens to their heart owner, or their owner's heart, and synchronizes their heart with their owner's heart. Holy crap. So talk about connection, right? And now the health benefits are, it's scientifically proven that you on average, humans on average, have lower blood pressure if they have a dog in their house. Humans on average live longer if they have a dog in their life. They did a study at Harvard, heart surgery, you recover 33% faster from heart surgery if there's a dog in your home. So you think about the pandemic, you think about political discourse, you think about all of the uncertainty in society, it makes total sense that there's been an explosion of dog ownership because dogs are anti-anxiety medicine. All yeah. dogs are therapy dogs now, right? So dogs went from being herd the sheep, pick up the duck out of the middle of the lake, kill the rat in the barn and the, the selective breeding has been brilliant. But now because of the co-evolution, they're anti-anxiety dogs, they're therapy dogs. Yeah. And so pandemic, you know, obviously it gave people an opportunity to bring a dog in the house there at home. But honestly, that explosion, we have an 8% year over year Kager in the pet spending now. And it, the last year it was $136 billion in the US alone of pet spending, right? And so- that explosion is because people are using dogs to help them live happier, healthier lives. That was fascinating. This is one of those times where I'm bummed out that I'm, you know, there's going to be a French fry animation on the video of this, but my jaw was dropping. So no one's going to see that. Holy crap. So, you know, it makes sense that there actually is science behind it. Cause I guess sometimes it just feels, you know, everyone's like obsessed with dogs, but there's actually real, like, I mean, wait, so you're telling me that dogs can hear our heart rate. Yes. And they synchronize their heart with you. So that resonance, right? Yeah. So there's something called resonance where 
pet owners typically, dog parents typically get dogs that have the same kind of personality traits, right? So there's a connection there and that dog resonates with you too, which is an absolute survival tactic. Dogs are one of the most successful mammals on the planet because of the cooperation or this relationship, the symbiotic relationship with humans. Yeah. I mean, it is like my family has a dog and uh, his name's Chief. We love him. He's a little Havanese. And, you know, it's funny, like me and my brother, who's just a year older than me, but we've always said it and joked with him. He's about 12 years old now, but like, we'll just say it's like, hey, like when he walks in the room, like it's kind of like odd. We just have this furry creature that we have living with us. (laughs) Any other furry creature would be like calling animal patrol, like a squirrel or (laughs) I I don't know, a raccoon, but a dog, it's everyone's like eyes are, you know, just watering. Yeah, it's funny. And it's actual societal trends. So a year and a half ago, the Pope came out and said, it's selfish for millennials to have dogs instead of kids. Like he's literally worried about world population. Yeah. You know, because the millennials are honestly getting dogs first or getting dogs in general instead of having children. And it's, you know, I think the statistic is 76% of millennials own a pet, making the largest generation ever to have pets. Wow. All right. That's, I mean, I could talk all day about this because it is so interesting, but I love that you actually have done that research and it makes sense now why you'd be so passionate about your business because thinking of dogs in the context of like almost an anti-anxiety, a living, breathing anti-anxiety medication is actually uh, just a concept never really actually heard about. So let's go back to, you know, the mobile pet grooming business. You know, how long did you stay with it? And you realized it wasn't scalable. But I guess you also said, though, that you were doing it for right money and freedom, effectively. Yeah. But it still was tied to the pet industry. So there wasn't that passion. You just didn't feel it was the right fit. And like I guess the concept itself wasn't actually maybe making enough of a dent. It's funny. The passion was there. And I think I found myself in the right space. But prioritization was wrong. Okay. And so I had a gut check moment. And, and I think most entrepreneurs have a gut check moment. And they're either forced to continue because they have no other options or they very deliberately take on the challenge and decide to push through. And mine was probably a little bit of both. Like I'd committed my family to this and I had made a lot of promises that I needed to keep. And so my sense of responsibility was tremendous. And so I did build a mobile pet grooming business. We continued to add vans, but it wasn't scalable. And that wasn't what I had, what I wanted or what I'd promised. So We started trying to solve those problems. One of the problems we solved was how do you get high quality staff, which are really artists, the styling piece, in a larger volume? And there's just not enough of them out there. The landscape was really competitive. So we went out to one of the larger grooming schools in the nation. We bought their curriculum. We opened up a retail location. And then we started hiring the people that had the right skills and putting them through a career path that built them into the technicians we needed. So we had to make our own technicians. That was one of the things. And we needed it to happen in-house. So I kind of had a choice. Do I want to go do a grooming school and supply our businesses? Yeah. Or do I try to integrate those two so that makes it eminently more scalable? And that was kind of one of the first big aha moments is, you know, we had to make the, the technician. And we had some success with that. And that business was called Pet Groomery. So we had a couple of grooming salons that we opened. So we did, had got enough technicians that we could open the next one. And during that process of scaling it, there was some problems still with that, which was the speed at which I could create a high quality technician or really an artist because, you know, grooming is that artistry. And so 
that was one of the ahas is like, you know, this amount of training is difficult. And we were honestly making groomers for the community because, you know, then they could go work for the vet or anywhere else. And so there was not a competitive barrier there. The second thing was, as we really started to really understand the pet industry in a much more deep way, you know, and it's actually a story. I was walking my dog. I met a neighbor. He asked me what I did. I told him I owned a pet grooming business. He's like, that's great. My dog doesn't need grooming. He had a lab, so it didn't need a haircut. But I could actually see that his dog's knuckles were disfigured because he hadn't clipped the nails regularly. And I could smell his dog's ear infection because he hadn't cleaned the ears. And he didn't know. Like, he loved his dog. He, we, I mean, he talked a lot about his dog and he yeah. loved his dog. He just didn't know. And that was like the light bulb, which is like, well, wait a minute. Grooming is really a more around hygiene, preventive routine care to keep them healthy. And people don't know that. So I started looking at the dog industry and I'm like, of the top 10 breeds owned in the US, only one of them needs a haircut. But the entire grooming industry is about who gives the best haircut. Yeah. And so we were in this red ocean, if you're familiar with that concept, yep. competing with everyone else on the best artistry, the best haircut. And I was like, we got this wrong. It should be about routine care. And, you know, all these dogs are coming into our homes. So we want them clean. We want them healthy. Yeah. We, we want to be able to connect with them. And it's really that, that connection piece. And so all of those things were forming for me, which is like, why do we really exist? What's really passion? What am I really passionate about? What is a mission I can create that I'm so passionate about that it's going to attract great people, not having to try to find people to bring in? Yeah. And so then the mission was really about you know, how do we help people practice love? How do we make the world a better place through their dog? And how do we keep dogs happy and healthy and help them ultimately live longer? So we created the scent hound concept. So scent stands for skin, coat, ears, nails, and teeth. And it's just routine maintenance that needs to happen. And that concept, now we started giving dog parents, every time they come in, a report on their health on skin, coat, ears, nails, teeth. So they knew what it means to be a great dog parent. And so we completely shifted away from haircuts to health. And focusing on that health actually helps the dog parent connect with their dog more empathetically, understand their needs, which actually helps the dog parent receive all the benefits from their dog in a better way because they're loving and connecting with them, right? So we remove barriers so people can love and connect with their dogs. Now, all of a sudden, we had something that was much more scalable, wasn't artistry-based. It was really mission-driven on something I'm passionate about. And so we then started opening a bunch of those centers. We got to five. And just testing membership models and processes and products and tools and all the de-risking the stuff that you need to do to ultimately franchise a business. That's great context and backstory to how I don't want to call it a failure because it does not sound like a failure at all. But maybe, you know, the mobile business, just like you said, it, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And then you found yourself maybe in yeah, like you wanted a blue ocean, you were in a red ocean. And if anyone is out there not knowing what we're talking about, Blue Ocean Strategy is a great book to read if you're thinking about starting a business. So yeah, wow. Were you considering at any point with the former business franchising? Was that on your mind, especially from the scalability aspect or not at all? Uh, yes. Yeah, so mobile was the first thing I was thinking I wanted to scale it and scale it via franchising. And that's yeah. when the first massive disappointment came, which is I got it wrong. And I didn't know what I didn't know. Now, not to say there aren't mobile grooming franchises out there. I just don't think it's a multi-unit. I think it's more to a owner-operator. And they may disagree, but that was my perspective on it. I think the other thing I really want to call out is I gave a really high-level story of that journey. Yeah. I've had my ass kicked. I've had massive disappointment. I've thought of quitting a thousand times. 
the journey is really hard. And I just don't want to gloss over that. Like there's a stark reality to this. And I am stubborn and I am like sometimes not that smart. So, you know, just to, you know, hey, this is the great journey. This was a decade of product market fit. I did not do this effective efficiently. I had a lot of disappointment. I had a lot of heartache, but I ultimately stuck with it and I'm much smarter on the other end, but it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I was going to ask that actually is, especially when you said you started with the goal of money and freedom, which yeah. I mean, resonates a lot with me because I mean, I love what I'm doing, but that is part of the journey for me is like, you know, why I want to do my own thing. And I mean, it is obviously very fulfilling and fun just to build things of your own. But regardless, having the setbacks, I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask about just, I mean, where there had to have been mornings where at a certain point, like I, I myself am quite impatient at times, like where you're just like, holy crap, like maybe you've been, maybe you're at it for four years and you're just like, I'm not even any closer to the end goal. Not that it's never good to watch the scoreboard or, or stare and, you know, look for the finish line, so to speak. But uh, yeah, can you kind of share just a bit more about about that? Like, and how'd you get through it? Yeah. So there was multiple phases and there was multiple reasons. In the beginning, it was really my sense of commitment. Like I had made promises and I need to solve this. And, and my sense of duty and my sense of loyalty carried me in some of the beginning. As I got further down the road, it was really my sense of self-worth. It's like, I've put so much into this. If I stop now, I will forever feel like I failed at that. And I didn't know if I was going to be okay with that. Like yeah. I needed to prove to myself. And so that was also a lot of the motivation. And sometimes I just didn't have other great options. Like you become an entrepreneur, part of that journey is you become unemployable. So you're just not that great at the rule following piece. Yeah. And so there was a lot of those pieces in there and self-reflection in there. And the, the thing that really helped me through a lot of that is I started seeking support groups and coaches. So I joined the entrepreneurs organization. That was a really powerful support group for me to be able to know I wasn't alone and to help me think through some of these things in a safer way with people who understood where I was going. I also got personal coaches and I've had a series along the way to kind of like help me identify my blind spots because you know, you have this narrative and you're going down this road and someone needs to say, you know, bullshit, that, that you're telling yourself the wrong story. And yeah. there's probably a better story you can tell yourself to help you get through this. How does franchising an easy to scale, always in demand business with affordable, low startup costs beginning at $85,000 and all the business support and coaching you'll need to succeed sound? Home Clean Heroes is a residential cleaning franchise dedicated to improving the community around them by donating a portion of their profits to support first responders. With extensive training resources and employee support, you'll have all the help you need to succeed. Interested in learning more about Home Clean Heroes' mission-based franchising model? Visit HomeCleanHeroesFranchise.com to learn more. That's HomeCleanHeroesFranchise.com. Amazing. I highly recommend that to anyone. If you're kind of out there alone on a try, I mean, that's one thing I wasn't prepared for even just starting the Wolf of Franchises and now, you know, with Crockett. But I remember, you know, two years ago, it's lonely, especially at the beginning. And I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's fun. And, but that was the one thing just for the early days, at least for me, you know, not very different doing an online business type thing. But yeah, that the, it's just, it's kind of you and the computer 
<laughs> and your thoughts. So uh, yeah, I highly recommend to anyone who's out there kind of trying to build something to get get a support group, get a community of people doing similar things, and uh, it, it it makes a world of difference. Yeah, I think I think one other feature that is the pressure on your shoulders, right? Like you're the one holding this thing up, and it's on you. And so if you've got a family, if you've got employees, there's a lot of responsibilities you take on, and being able to understand how to manage that responsibility or that burden and have know that other people are there and have a, to be able to share on that level because that also can wear you down over time and ultimately bring you to an outcome that you don't want. Absolutely. Just for me, I haven't had that pressure luckily as a, uh, you know, but uh, I can absolutely, I mean, that, that adds to the pressure. If you ask me, just having the family to potentially take care of and, and th- that extra responsibility, because it's hard enough doing it as a single person, you know, in their late twenties. Something I haven't talked on really quick here is, is yeah. I couldn't have done it without my wife either. So my wife was a freelance. She did corporate identity and branding. And so her income actually supported us for a while, which we didn't agree on that being the case, but it needed to be the case. Yeah. And supported the business for free for a lot of the years because that we needed that branding, that brand positioning, the messaging, the content, all that kind of stuff. As we've gone through these hardships together and been very intentional about our marriage and our business, and, and that's a complicated landscape also, we've come out the other side so much more powerfully. And now she's full-time Hound as well. So she's chief brand officer. Amazing. And our combination of skills has just worked out to be a really powerful combination. And we really figured out how to work together. But that's another complexity of my entrepreneurial journey that might be a bit atypical. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Like where you've gone through the journey and, and, you know, set hound today, right. You guys have been on my radar for a few years. I just, I saw the growth, especially through COVID of, you know, some development deals with impressive franchisees. So, and I know now about 56 locations open. So you guys are obviously clearly on the rise and yeah, let's talk about especially let's go back to that red ocean, blue ocean concept. When you first opened that first location, which I believe was 2013, was it clear like where you in your head or at what point were you like, yes, I got it right this time? Yeah. So no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, okay. that's part of it. You, you have a concept, but no one was doing anything like that. And so yeah. we actually used one of our mobile vehicles and we made scent on the side of it. And we started partnering with HOAs and showing up for a day to care for dogs. Okay. And just talking to customers, one community at a time. We show up to the rescue leagues and get the new dog parents to get their dogs cared for. Like, what's most important to you? And how do we care about your health? And what does routine maintenance look like for you? And what's the right price point? And, you know, all of these kinds of things. And there was a ton of learning. Then we opened our first location, complete test, new layout, very different than the grooming place. We actually didn't do haircuts at all in the very first model. We're like, if 90% of dogs don't need haircuts, let's just do those. But like, the learning around that, which was the paradigm in people's minds around dog care was grooming. And so we'd have all the grooming customers come in and then be upset they couldn't get a haircut. And so we needed to then pivot and figure out how to create scalable haircuts without styling involved. And so all of these insights along the way. As far as franchising, you know, well, I guess once you had, you felt like you had a solid concept down. And you go into franchising. I mean, well, what was that like? Because oftentimes, and I agree with this line of thought, but oftentimes, you know, so I, I got my start in this industry, if you if you'll call it that, as you know, in franchise development. So that's what I'm used to and and first know intimately. Um, but for you coming from you know the pet industry and then 
franchising, right? A lot of times founders will say it felt like starting a second business. You know, was there a steep learning curve there? Or did that come maybe easier? And I'll, sometimes it does because the concept's just that much of a home run. It doesn't feel like starting a new business. It is starting a new business, like 100%. And so we had started mobile, we had started retail, we had started Senhound. So we had now started three new businesses. And so we went in pretty eyes wide open that we were going to build a separate business. It was a marketing and sales organization that was selling a business system that then you needed to support. And so there was a learning curve there. And we honestly, we're still on that learning curve. And, and, and as you go through each of these milestones, the business requires a, a unique set of skills at each of those stages to be able to support the franchisees right, to be able to market this correctly, all those other kinds of things. So I think starting a franchise business, there's a lot of work that goes into it and a huge learning curve. So now you're running two businesses simultaneously. And I think it's really important for everybody listening to, this, to understand that's really challenging and capital is really the biggest challenge there. So you know, using the profits from your business that you have, pouring it into this other thing and it's risk, right? And then getting someone to buy a franchise even if you've got this history without one franchise success to look at, right? So, okay, Tim Vogel, you've done very well at this, but I'm not Tim Vogel. Is this, can someone who's not Tim Vogel do this, right? Are the systems translatable? Is it scalable and portable? Will it work in other areas? Yes. Is it easy to operate? And those are the two things that we really thought about. And so it took us about a year to kind of get the first person on board. Once we did that, all of a sudden the momentum started to happen, but we had to really we had to work really hard to help people understand that we had thought this through, that we had done the product market fit, that we do have the systems. And the reality is those initial ones, our systems were pretty crappy. Because like, <laughs> yeah. how could they be amazing, right? So then went the process of like, oh my God, we need to race to build all this infrastructure because, and then as we started selling more, the race to build more and more infrastructure happened. And so then that journey's separate. And now where we're in the journey right now is we've built a ton of infrastructure, but does it have all the connective tissue? So it's like the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Does yeah. it work really well? Is it easy to access by our franchisees? And now we're really going through that process. Absolutely. The journey for a new brand. And, you know, that's primarily who I would work with was emerging franchises. I mean, it's tough. It's, you know, every great franchise had to start with one location, even McDonald's. And I think it's been eye-opening for me as of, you know, like I write a newsletter. So I've kind of geeked out on just my own time and studying a bunch of franchises. And you look at a lot of the big global brands and something that I just don't think is talked about enough is, hey, they were started in like the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. They've had decades to compound and then new franchises, you know, it takes time. No matter how good your concept is, it just takes time. And yeah, it's what you talked about too with the, kind of selling those first few units. Yeah, I call it effectively, like, you know, the first stage of a franchise is like, even if you have a great corporate location or multiple corporate locations in your market, there's the proof of portability that once I think a franchise gets that, that's when it can be off to the races. And, you know, I think it varies. There's no magic number, but just having success stories with multiple franchisees. And I would, if you can do it in like unrelated markets, so you were in Jupiter, Florida, if you had someone in Washington and then in Boston, you know, totally different markets where each market that franchisee is opening in has no idea, right, what Sethound is because they've never seen it. It's not a national brand or even a regional brand yet, right? That's if you can show, hey, this person did it, it worked. The other person did it there and that also worked. That's usually what I think a franchise can really start to own the narrative. I think it's also, we're also in a unique challenging place there too because we actually have a new model, 
it's not like really. How has it changed? No, no. Sendhound's not a new model. It's a, it's a new model to, oh, to the grooming right. world. Yes, yes. And so you know when you're pioneering a new concept versus you know I've got a subconcept that's got this twist or this differentiator on it. We're like creating a new marketplace. People don't actually think of themselves as dog parents in a lot of ways around, they don't think about preventive care. They don't, they think of grooming as this one thing, right? And so if you've got a boxer, you've never been to a groomer in your life. If you've got a Frenchie, which is the number one dog owned in the US now, you don't think of going to a groomer because they don't need haircuts. Yeah. Those are exactly the people that should be using it. So there's this whole pioneering the new space or carving out this white space, which I think is an additional challenge to where we are. Absolutely. There's probably like that educational component uh, of it. Definitely. For sure. And I also want to touch on what you said before about how you you kind of joked like, yeah, our first systems, you know, for those first few units, they actually weren't that good. But that is fairly common from what I've heard. And, you know, I've been lucky to speak to some early franchisees of avid listeners of this podcast will probably be rolling their eyes. But Orange Theory, just for whatever reason, I've spoken to a lot of those people and I mean, they said the same thing about Orange Theory. And, you know, they said, hey, when I bought in, I was, you know, franchisee number five. Like the logo was a stick figure and there's no systems, you know. And But I think it's important for people to know who are evaluating emerging concepts that you're not necessarily buying the concept for what it is today. You got to believe in the executive team. So you in this case, right, and where the brand is trying to go. And ideally, as an early franchisee, you can kind of take part in that upside, right? Because assuming things do work out, at least all the Orange Theory folks I've spoken to, like they all have, now they own 10, 20, 30, 40 Orange Theories and they're, trust me, they're doing very well for themselves. So yeah, I just think it's good for people to know that obviously you want an, a franchise who, regardless of who it is to, you know, have fantastic systems and be able to transfer that knowledge. But, you know, a lot of times those early franchisees, they probably work pretty closely with the franchisor and there is a new learning curve because maybe what, you did in Jupiter. It doesn't necessarily always work exactly to the T in a different market. And then over time, you have enough data points and then the system's humming. Yeah, I think it's really important as a franchise or of a new system, you're really selling your system and you're also selling your future, right? And, and a clear, compelling future that makes sense and is exciting and creates a greater opportunity for everybody has to be a part of that, has to be a part of that pitch. And I mean, so for you guys, right? I think you said 56 locations open and I know, you know, just because I've, I've seen, I don't know the exact number, but quite a bit of units in development, right? And I think you said one opening a week at this point. Yeah. For the rest of the year, the app will average about one a week. So we'll be around 85, I imagine, by the end of this year, 90 yeah. if, we, if permitting and stuff goes as well as we'd like it to go. Yeah. And, you know, 230 some in development. A lot of those are multi-units. So there's a multi-unit schedule around that. So yeah, we now have hit the growth trajectory and now, what we really think a lot about is, you know, systems and process being clear and understandable and give all the tools. Unit level economics is the most important thing for us. That's number one. But number two, what is the benefit of having this network now? And how can we leverage that into a future vision that everyone gets excited about because, you know, it's better for the dog parent, it's better for the franchisee, and it's better for the brand? Absolutely. Now, I mean, first of all, congrats. I mean, it's exciting and especially after the journey, you know, I feel like you're really hitting your stride now. So that's really awesome to see. And I mean, I've heard great things. Obviously we had Jacob on the podcast. So, you know, and he was super smart person. I actually spoke to him before he ended up buying into Hound, and he was deeply evaluating the franchise industry. I think he came from corporate consulting. So knows his numbers, knows his stuff. So I think it speaks volumes that he 
ultimately went with your brand. But let's talk, you know, especially you said, right, you're selling the systems and the future, right, for a franchise. So I think it's really interesting because to me, you were early a little bit with this concept because today it's, you know, so I used to work with a pet franchise. So, you know, we we went into the industry, we were, you know, we knew all the trends that like, like I'm sure you saw probably five or six years earlier, which was just, especially with millennials, millennials are buying dogs, the pandemic puppies but the amount people are spending on their pets. And even just, I knew, cause I am a millennial and I, I could just see it and feel it. The mindset around a pet is, hey, that's a member of our family. It's not like, we're not putting them in the dog house in the yard. Like they're in my bed or, you know, like the dogs, like you're right, they're replacing kids to a degree. So the future of Scenthound, I mean, that wellness angle, I think it's great. There's obviously a fit for it and there's demand for it. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you have ideas to expand on it? You know, and because the reality is people do want to take care of their dogs and make sure that they're feeling their best. So yeah, I'm curious, you know, what the future for Scenthound might look like in that respect. Yeah. So really carving out kind of routine preventive maintenance for your dog, right? And I think what's really the back up a second, I think, you know, when the internet was born, it was really the age of information and you could have access to information. We've just entered the age of intelligence. And so that's, we're just the beginning of this explosion of intelligence and ultimately, and probably not too far in the future because of the exponential growth, everyone's going to have some kind of personal assistant and they're going to have some access to intelligence. So I think the future ultimately is proprietary data integrated with this level of intelligence to hyper-personalize solutions. So we're in a very unique position to capture a lot of data about your dog's health. We have our hands on them every month, if not every week. We know a lot about that dog. And so how do we use that information to first educate the dog parent, but also create the easy button for them with a hyper-personalized solution for their dog and for their needs? And using these technologies and these large sets of data that we have to now be the personal coach for that dog parent and really an ecosystem for that dog parent. So they still have to worry about being a dog parent. It doesn't have to be hard to be a dog parent. And they can be an amazing dog parent where their dog's happier, healthier, lives longer with this support group that we have here. And so Sandhound, it is a monthly model, right? Like a subscription model? Correct. Yeah. So we've got three kind of offerings, but two of them are kind of once a month basic routine and you can add on services as you need. And then one is an unlimited. You can come in every day and get basic care that you want. So if I, like we're right by the beach here, a lot of our unlimited customers, every Saturday will go to the beach and bring their dog in after the beach so that they can... They can actually live a more active life with their dog. So, you know, if you think you're in Col- you know, like our place in Colorado, a lot of the dog parents, I think there's more dogs than kids in Colorado for the record. So they're out hiking with them and they're getting muddy and they're getting dirty. So you can pop into a scent lounge, get them cleaned before you bring them home. So now you can have a much more active lifestyle. That's a great market for a scent hound to Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that franchisee is very happy. Okay. It's almost like, yeah, to me, it reminds me, you know, you got like the gym membership model where it's unlimited and you just pay your monthly subscription. Then the other one's maybe like almost the boutique fitness where like I pay for Orange Theory. So I'll bring them up again, but you know, they have like, you know, you can sign up for the four classes a month package or whereas you guys have like the single cleaning a month. And so each time you guys are obviously kind of I'm sure you're plugging in whatever evaluations and inputs you, per dog that you're seeing, and it's going into a set hound proprietary system, and this data is just correct. And it reports it results in a report card on skin, coat, ears, nails, teeth, and glands. Yep, weight stuff like that. So that as a dog parent, 
I can actually track my dog's health. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? You know, and that's part of that education so that I can become the best dog parent I can be. I love it. I think that's genius. And the beauty of, of the model too, right? Like you said, you're going to be at 85-ish, 90 locations by the end of the year. Yeah. You know, the better the data you have, the more valuable it is for your franchisees, the better the services. It, the trickle-down effects are great. And that that's the beauty of a franchise is that everyone should win. The customer, the dogs, the franchisees, and uh, of course you, you'll get that freedom and capital and uh, yeah, the freedom and money you've been looking for. <laughs> and we make the world a slightly better place, which is- 100%. 100%. You know, we tie in with our community through programs with rescue leagues and stuff. So, you know, all those wins align. That's what creates for, I think, you know, momentum. And yes. if I was here about money and my own freedom, we wouldn't be where we are today. It's got to be about impact and contribution. And when you do that, oddly enough, things start to really grow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's absolutely working. So uh, yeah, congrats again on the growth and just for sticking with it. Super awesome story. I think the listeners are going to love this. You know, if there's any place where they can follow you personally or or online to get in touch with Sentinel, potentially, you know, what would be the best spots to do that? Yeah, so to follow me, it's, it's just LinkedIn at Tim Vogel. You could you check out our website. It's, you know, www.franchise.senthound.com. Facebook slash Senthound or Instagram slash Senthound. Those are all places that you can find us. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll plug all those in the show notes, folks. Yeah, Tim, seriously, thanks again. This was a fun conversation. We'll talk soon. The perfect fit, being on with a wolf. <laughs> there we go. All righty. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. 